Morning, church. Thanks, guys. I'm looking forward to uh, hanging out this afternoon. Um, So do come and uh, join us if you want. It's uh, a really great event. Um, And I went last year, me and Tash went on our own because it was the first year they did it and I wasn't sure what it would be like. And um, it was just a really incredible space uh, of people uh, recognising some of the stuff that's gone on in the past but also wanting to move forward uh, in unity. And um, I I love that um, the verse that talks about how... um, if we don't praise God, then the rocks cry out. You like read that verse? It talks about, so like if we fail to acknowledge who God is to the world, then even something as simple as like the rocks will cry out his glory. And um, I think it's crazy to watch things like in Hollywood and in the world and even in terms of some of the things that our community does, I, I get to interact with community service organisations and see them do amazing things, um, you know, just f- because, you know, they've taken it upon themselves to do that. And, and being in this space last year, it was really one of those situations where I was like, man, this is what the church is supposed to look like. And I, if I was to sum up my vision for church, not just ours, but church in general, is that when the people, you know, in our city come into a space like that in the future, they'll go, wow, this reminds me of the people I know at church. I think that we should be the forerunners of compassion. We should be the forerunners of uh, of recognizing those things that are wrong in the world and wanting to make it right, amen. So I'm going to be sharing this morning. Uh, I'm just going to read from James three verse thirteen. Along with that whole discussion, there's been a you know number of you know, what I'd call debates or whatever going on, and, um, and there's a lot of things that people say that make sense. There's a lot of people who, you know, say things from, you know, various different perspectives that make sense. And so when, as Christians, we're pursuing the heart of God and seeking to recognise his voice and what he's calling us to as a church, as individuals, then it's really timely that we turn to the word to be able to discern what is true wisdom, what is wisdom that looks like the heart of God. This verse in, uh, in chapter 3 from verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. You can go to the next one. Uh, but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, uh, by the way, um, you could summer, uh, jump back if you can. I alternative title for this message um, was going to call it um, critical, uh, 
no, cynical, or cynical and selfish. Two false forms of wisdom that we find in the world. Um, but if you have bitter envy, cynical, and selfish ambition, selfish, in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Continue. Uh, such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and mine says from the devil, <laughs> my version, uh, or demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. Man, that sounds pretty amazing. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. I want to read the version I've got here. Uh, it says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, then submissive, then full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Lord, I pray that we would be peacemakers, that your word calls us to be. Lord, I pray that we would have wisdom that is from above, that we would discern wisdom that is from your word, that is from your lips, Lord. And we pray that we would put aside all selfish ambition, all cynicism, all critical spirit, all those things that lead us apart from your wisdom. We pray as we open up your word this morning that we would draw closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Cynical or selfish? If I was to sum up, you know, there's, a, there's a picture and it's like someone, um, you know, like face palming and it's like, don't read the internet comments. It's like, it, it doesn't matter on what forum, in what context, on what platform, don't read the internet comments. It's like good advice for life. Um, and it's definitely true. But because I read the internet comments, I shouldn't read the internet comments. But because I did, if I was to sum up the different types of wisdom that people profess, they would fall into two categories unless it's apart from those things. You know, the ones that don't look at all like that summary of wisdom that's from above, you know, peace-loving and compassionate and sincere and all those. The ones that aren't like that usually are one of two things. Look out for number one would be a pretty good summary. Selfish ambition. Doesn't matter what effect, this is what I want, and so therefore this is the stance I make. Or what about me, what effect will that have on me if we, if they, if whatever. Selfish ambition. Or cynicism. And we all know those ones if you've ever opened up internet comments and I think Christians, particularly those of the more progressive kind of nature, can be pretty well um, good at jumping into this camp where they're cynical about everything, cynical about people's motives or about, uh, you know, there's that intellectual cynicism that comes with people who are, you know, um, in the educated kind of camp, whatever, those sort of things that really 
come down to not looking very different at all to that bitterness that the Bible talks about. And neither is any better. But what we need to desire is something that looks more like the wisdom that is from above. The word says that fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. I used to struggle with that and I was probably, it was either early this week or sometimes last week where I was studying a couple of passages and I said to Debbie, because she's like in the office just next to me, so we'll often have conversations, I kind of leaned back on my chair and I was like, Debbie, did you know that the Bible actually gives us the definition for the fear of God? Like I've heard entire sermons preached on what the fear of God is, on how, you know, it's that fearful trepidation of how amazing God is, is understanding that like awesomeness of God. It's like not fear as in being scared, but respect. For, like all of those, I've heard like definition after definition as people try to explain what the fear of God is because it's a bit of a strange expression for a God that we know to be love and compassion and kindness. But the Bible defines the fear of God. In Proverbs, verse 8, it says, The fear of God is the hatred of evil. Well, that's pretty simple, really. <laughs> For all the sermons and all the... And, you know, a lot of them aren't too far from what that sums up. But I love how the Bible, half the time, actually the answer is there if you read long enough. So to fear God is to hate evil. The verse goes on uh, and it's actually written from the perspective of wisdom. So wisdom personified is like if you open up your chapters and sometimes they have that little heading. Mine says wisdom personified. And it talks about I wisdom do this and that and I wisdom look like this and this is the benefit of having wisdom and you know if you know me as in if you know wisdom then these things will happen it says, those who know me walk the way of righteousness and paths of justice. Those who know wisdom walk the way of righteousness and paths of justice. We know, and when we talk about the fear of God, we often look at it in terms of well, why, you know, we, we need to consider God and our actions. We need to consider God in the context of the choices we make in regard to our own personal righteousness, right? We, we imagine the fear of God being this, uh, I kind of um, liken it to how I remember Dave Hack once, who um, the pastors that planted this church, um, Dave was their eldest son and on his 21st he, um, he said, gave a speech you know, and thanking all of his parents he said he turned out alright you know, partially for um, you know, his Christian um, upbringing and relationship with God and a good part fear of Les that's his mum and, and I, that's kind of how I imagine like, the fear of God you know that like mum knows like like we, Torin has this thing where he, like, he's just 
blatantly cheeky at the moment and will try to defy whatever he can get away with. But if you're standing there, like he won't try it. So, um, but I, I've managed to catch him trying to sneak out of his bed enough times that you'll just come around the corner, what are you doing? Like as he's about to put his foot on the floor and he'll like jump back into his bed. And so now I think there's like, well, he still tries it, but you know, the, the reason, I'm sure, the only reason he stays in his bed at all is because uh, there's like that element of fear they could be around the corner at any moment. I, that's how I imagine the fear of God. Well, that's how I used to, you know, imagine the fear of God. It's like God knows or could see you know, so we need, a, we need to act righteously because cause God will see what we are doing and, you know, like, be displeased. And, and, like, and I, I sort of, in my good, you know, Christian kind of, you know, recognise, like, well, and because I love God and honour God and don't want him to be upset with me, you know, it's, like, not out of, like, pure, I'm not a two-year-old. It's not purely because someone's going to come around the corner, but it's so far removed actually when we get to open up the word and understand this fear of God that actually is a, it's to fear God is to hate evil requires something more than us than just to toe the line it requires something more from us than just to do a, B, C that we were raised to recognise, it actually requires of us to see what is evil and to desire change. When you see something that's wrong in the world, it's like when you, like Jeff and Margie who are away this morning, who are part of uh, Pink Jade or actually are the founders of Pink Jade, which started out as an orphanage and as they've learnt and grown in their um, understanding and Jeb, Jeff's done training in humanitarian aid internationally and now they're doing amazing things in this country to be able to give kids there a, a start in their education, to support families to raise um, these kids that otherwise had no hope and no future. The reason that started is because they travelled through that nation and they saw a child who moved them to do something because they saw evil in the world and they wanted to change it. They saw something wrong that God could make right. To fear God is to hate evil. It's to see what's wrong in the world enough that we will actually do something to change it. And do you know what? That will drive our personal righteousness. That will drive our choices. That will mean that we make the right choice on a Saturday night when you know everyone's had a few too many drinks and we decide whether we should or not. That will make enough of an impact on our life that we want to live the 
God-given destiny that we have to be able to do some good in the world. That will drive our decision to get up and come to church in the morning. That will drive our decision to give in the offering, to be able to bring what we have, to be able to serve on a team, get up early and come and rehearse here again when you've been on band for the fourth time in a row. That will drive enough of that stuff because you want to change the world because you see what's wrong that needs to be made right. And we don't need to preach rules or push religion when the fear of God is revealed to us. When we see evil and hate it enough to change it. And so the reason sometimes I get accused of being fanatical or too radical or too extreme it comes down to this to seeing evil and wanting to do something about it be careful now there's a lot of evil in the world and it almost gets to the point where you don't want to see anything else because there's too much to do. It's where the church comes in. It's why I chose to give up a full-time social work position and career for ministry because there's only so much evil in the world that I can change. I can advocate policy you know, that supports young people and, and do drug and alcohol counselling with teenagers, leading them to make better choices and, and house families as an individual. But I can't change a nation on my own. But the church can. If the church would rise up and look like what God has called it to look like, if the church would see evil, put aside cynicism and selfishness and all that looks like wisdom for true wisdom that is the fear of God, hating evil enough that will put aside our differences, that will put aside all the things that we desire in our life will put aside the easy way for the narrow path that leads to freedom. We'll no longer be concerned just with what is immoral, but also what is unjust. I spoke last week about the need to recognise the wrongs and when we see Jesus revealed to us, then we recognise what's wrong in us. It's like the comparison, the light that shines on everything that isn't God. And the same goes for what's going on around us and what we can be part of changing when the light shines in the world, we see what we can change, what needs to look like him, 
what lo- needs to look like the kingdom. Something I didn't go into last week that I wanted to, and you could kind of call this part one and part two. I think it'd definitely make more sense if you listen to both. But one thing uh, that I alluded to briefly was that concept that when we recognise what's wrong actually brings us to a place of mourning, brings us to a place of lament, brings us to a point of confession that leads us to a place of change. The Bible says that blessed are those who mourn. Speaking to those that are brokenhearted, not just in their own situation, But there's something about uh, the Hebrew concept of mourning that didn't actually, it doesn't actually speak to, you know, blessed is those who's who's uh, lost a loved one. Definitely encompasses that, absolutely. And if you're in a place of loss, know that God absolutely meets you in that place of loss. It recognises the suffering that is there. But there's more to the concept of mourning where it's actually an outward act of expressing something that has gone wrong. So mourning as opposed to sadness. Mourning um, is expressing the emotions that come along with whatever loss has occurred. And that can be... uh, So when you see... um, the story about Jesus coming up over the hill and he weeps over Jerusalem. There's a mourning that occurs that comes with recognising that all isn't the way that God has intended. More and more I recognise God's heart breaks for his world, not just individually, not just every person that's lost and disconnected from him, but God's heart breaks over the creation that he said was good. When he saw everything that he'd made and all was working together perfectly the way that God designed, he saw it and he said it was good. God's heart breaks to the point that he desired change, that he so loved the world that he sent his son to save us. Not just each one, but all of us. Let that speak to your heart for a minute. Because we... Learn to recognise the gospel as it speaks to each of us individually. God loved the world. God loved me. This is truth. Absolutely. But that verse uses the word not ethnos, but cosmos. Ethnos is people. Cosmos is the world, creation in its entirety. Speaks to something wider. God loved what he had created so much 
that he sent his son in to save the world. Not just each of us individually saved for an eternity, but also healing that comes to save the world in the situation. Jesus is the word for every situation, everything that doesn't look like what it should, everything that at the moment is causing brokenness and people to lament and mourn that even God would see and mourn and call us to recognize and mourn over. All of those things can be made right by the word of God, that is Jesus, by the wisdom that comes from above. So why blessed are those that mourn? Because those that would express physically, outwardly, what they've seen that is wrong in the world are moved enough to change it. To mourn is the first step in actually doing something, expressing the wrong that you see. Some of us see it and put it aside. Sometimes God puts a hand on something in your life that isn't right, isn't in order, isn't something that looks like what he would have it look like and we can choose to be broken over that thing and start to make it right or we can choose to put it aside. We can choose to cover it, to distract ourselves with a multitude of Netflix and you know, Facebook and, or work achievements or sports or or whatever it is that we distract ourselves with so we don't think about it again. Because if you to express it, something about saying something, there's something about acknowledging something that has power. We are called to confess our belief in a way that the Bible talks about as actually being something that brings salvation. But we know, like even in little things, my kids, one of the most effective strategies as a parent I was ever taught was that when you give a child an instruction, whether it be we're leaving the park in five minutes or pack up your toys or, you know, whatever... We, would, uh, we asked them to say, yes, mum, or yes, dad. And there's something about that confession that comes when they're required to say it back that, like, drives action unconsciously. And, like, nine times out of ten, Torrin being the exception, they'll do it. And where a child was openly defiant before about leaving the park, suddenly they're packing their stuff up and putting their shoes on. It, like, try it if you have young kids. It actually works. Is there something about acknowledging something with our words that's the beginning of action? Blessed are those who mourn. Maybe there's something in that. They're blessed because they begin 
to take action. I'm going to ask the band to come and join us. This verse talks about peacemaking. I wrote an article over the course of this week in which I used a a description that Martin Luther King Jr. uses in defining peacemaking from peacekeeping, which sometimes we're really good at. See, peacemaking is a godly attribute. It's a desirable quality according to the word of God. Peacekeeping, on the other hand, is something that, well, we often like a peacekeeper, don't we? We Like someone who mediates to an extent, someone who deals with the conflict. I I certainly like the peacekeepers in our family when they choose to be as such, but... I'd much prefer peacemakers. I'd much prefer the kids were peacemakers and that they would learn to recognise the God, you know, nature in every individual, including their siblings, so that they would stop treating them so badly and then they would change the way that they interact. Rather than peacekeeping, peacemaking actually addresses what's wrong. So... The kids having an argument over a toy in the lounge, the peacemaker, the peacekeeper, sorry, brings another one and says, here, wouldn't you rather play with that? The peacemaker says, how about you learn to share? When we're peacekeepers in the world, we're often subject to things that don't look like God because we know that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violence take it by force. That's a difficult verse for someone who likes to be on the side of not causing trouble, that believes it's the job of the Christian to, you know, give bread to the hungry. I love what Jared said last time, maybe the time before, he says, but where the trouble comes is when we ask, why are the hungry hungry? See, peacemaking is about more than just quieting the trouble. It's about setting things right. That leads us to a place of needing to know the wisdom that is from above. Following Jesus is the only way. If you missed Chris Friend's sermon a few weeks back, jump on and have a listen to that one where he talks about the prayer that moved a small group of individuals right through to making a change to the point where the Berlin Wall came down. That's peacemaking. We want to be a church 
are peacemakers that recognise what's wrong and be part of the process of making right. And that actually requires of us to recognise what's wrong in us right down to those little attitudes. See, this verse sums it up so well. It starts describing the things that first take root that cause us to want to not do the difficult things that following Jesus requires, that selfish ambition. Maybe it's more comfortable not to. Cynicism. I've tried it before. They're never going to listen. There's too much to change. Wisdom from above. There are things in each of us that God is calling us to recognise, to confess, to come to a place of repentance in so that we can be the church that he's calling us to be. Not just issues of immorality, but issues of injustice. Not just the rules that help us to define what other people are doing wrong, but recognising the things in us that are less than who God has called us to be. The chapter after this in James says, if anyone knows what is good and right to do and does not do it, that for him is sin. Who is God calling you to be? Who is God calling us to be? Would you continue to seek him in ways that draw out and show us, that let him light, shine the light on everything in us that doesn't look like the kingdom so that we would be the church, that people, when the world starts talking about unity or the Golden Globe starts celebrating equality or people are being you know, led into a place of being, um, of calling out and doing things that, that the church would be seen as the leader of those things. That the church would be seen as the first place and port of call for help the church would be the first place that people would go to when their relationships needed restoration, that the church would be the place that reflects his glory and his goodness. Let's stand this morning, church. you close your eyes for a moment? There are things in you 
There are things that God has placed in you, gifts and abilities. There are passions. There are things that God has enabled you to see. There are things that God has enabled you to be able to speak into or work on. There are things in you that are part of this picture. There are also things in us that hold us back from being all that he is calling us to do. Would you just take a moment to surrender those things to God and ask him? It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit is when we recognize his love that leads us to see what's wrong with the world when we're standing in the midst of it it all looks normal it's hard to see through the blur of everything going on but there's something about a clarity that comes when we recognize the love of God that leads us Lord, I surrender to you all of me and I ask that you would take all that is not of you, change and make it brand new. Lord, we ask you forgive us for all the things that we've seen that are wrong, that we didn't do anything to make right. Maybe because of our cynicism, maybe because of our selfish ambition, we were too busy or caught up, maybe because we were too comfortable, maybe because we had fear and we let it override. Lord, change us that the next time we would do something. whether it's reach out to the person alone, share what we have too much of, whether it's address the things that we're doing each day that are costing the earth, whether it's recognising the sin in our life and laying it down, whether it's leaving behind things that you've called us to leave behind, Because you love the world. So much that you've made a way for us to be a part of making it right. Lord, give us the wisdom that is from above. That your Holy Spirit would guide us. That you would lead us like only you can in ways that make peace. When the world has no answers, that they would come to your church because by the power of your Holy Spirit, you've led us 
find ways that could only be divinely inspired. To make what was wrong, right. Amen. We begin this process, church, every week as we come to the table because one of... See, first, mankind was disconnected from God, disorder. And the second is that mankind were disconnected from each other, disorder. And so why it's so important that we come around the table every week is the first step. After we're reconciled to God, that we be reconciled to each other. And how, how can we represent that to a world if we as his church don't represent it first? So as we come, we recognize that it's only by the power of his body broken for us and his blood shed for us that we can do this in a way that looks like the kingdom but we also recognize that because of his body broken for us and his blood shed for us, that we have to do this. That we need to be reconciled to each other. That we as his church need to be unified. That we as his church need to begin to look like all that he made and said was good. So this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have a little, you who have been here often and you who have just come for the first time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, you who have failed in following Jesus and you who have just decided to follow Jesus today, come. Let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize God's family. Leave now if necessary. Go and be a forgiver and run back because it is the Lord who invites us. It is God's will that by the power of the Holy Spirit, those who desire Christ would encounter him here. So come.